All right. So this is our uh, season two, episode two of the Shadow Dragon podcast. Uh, this is Daniel Clemens, founder and CEO of Shadow Dragon. I'll let you guys uh, give your intros really quick before we kick it off for the day. I'm Elliot. I'm um, Elliot Anderson. I work with uh, Daniel at Shadow Dragon. I'm the CTO. Uh, I'll let, uh, I bet you guys know Nico, but he can introduce himself. So. Hi, Nico Dakins. Some people know me better by my handle. That's Elton Guy. And I'm now officially part of Shadow Dragon as well. I am the Director of Intelligence <laughs> and Innovation Collection. So we're pretty proud to join you guys. Yeah, it's Thanks. good to have you. It's yeah. good to have you, Nico. It's 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 been fun the last few months for sure. Yeah, I know one one of the few guys who's pulled me out of the cave uh, over the years has been Nico. So thank you. Oh, um, I'm glad to have that honor. Yes, yes. So today, um, in our in our in our podcast, we've got a few different topics at hand. We're going to try to go over all these in a short amount of time to keep keep this lively. But we've got the uprise of lone wolf attacks by the Islamic State out of Europe. We've got tyranny against farmers um, pretty much all over the place. We've got data dumps and ir irregular warfare observed in, in Ukraine, Russia, and all over Europe. We've got spies caught, um, particularly many different connections to Brazil and a few other countries. Uh, scalable human trafficking workflows for those that might want to uh, be illuminated on that. The uh, ever ever new uh, balloon spy scandal or Chinese spy balloon flying all over the place, and now everyone and their mom is monitoring the skies from their from their home. Uh, API API collection data scraping, et cetera, the state of the industry. And then um, we've got uh, a recontinuation of, of, of the discussion on the splintering of different social media platforms and discussion forums, uh, where this is going, what's going on. And then finally, a small little uh, snippet on, on once again, data telling the story why that's important from an analyst perspective, whether you've got tools or you don't have tools, the data is always going to tell the story. So <clears throat> without further ado, Nico, I'm going to, I'm going to hand the ball off to you on the, the uprise of lone wolf attacks that, that have been observed in, in Europe uh, by the Islamic state. And, you know, maybe you can give us some historical context on what you've seen in the past, what you're seeing right now and um, what people can collect on, think about and uh, be aware of. Yeah, sure. So historically seen, um, I think we had a bunch of huge attacks in France and Belgium um, around 2015-ish, where we had a couple of terrorist cells that had ties with the Netherlands and a lot of other European countries, but they, um, they were all based upon, let's say, a handful of fighters that went to Syria and joined that holy fight. So at that moment in time, I was investigating that stuff within the Dutch government and keeping track of that and working closely with other law enforcement agencies within Europe and all around the world. And somehow it stopped all of a sudden. And that, that is what, what got me worried because um, terrorist cells, particularly um, jihadi terrorists, they don't stop. They, that's 
that's just simply how terrorist cells work. But particularly when we when we look at the Islamic State, they are in it for the long run. They have a very long, long breath when it comes to planning an attack or taking the time to set up a cell and work with that. Uh, it it can take literally decades to 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 execute a certain plan. Um, with that, of course, the Islamic State was somewhat stopped in that region in Syria, uh, particularly with help of the United States. But since they left um, there, and most people left, um, the problem started to to rise again. Um, interestingly, their online presence really. Slowed down, so they had a very long and good online presence on Facebook and on Telegram. But the last, I think it's safe to say that the last five years, compared to the years before, there was little to no online presence by uh, Islamic State jihadis or propaganda or similar stuff like that. Um, now, the last two months, we've had several knife attacks on public places. So think of airports, train stations, um, um, shopping malls. And most of them were claimed by individuals that claimed to be part of the Islamic State. And their modus operandi was exactly the same. Maximum damage with a knife and then uh, killed by cop. That's basically what, they, what their goal is. Now, luckily, uh, those, got, those people were just arrested, so not killed. Because, well, I think it's safe to say that in the in uh, compared to the uh, United States and the EU, uh, in the EU, cops don't shoot as quick as they do in the United States due to all kinds of regulations and laws. So, with it, I'm hoping that in time we will get more insight on if these were orchestrated or coordinated attacks. But knowing what I know, because I've worked for almost 15 years in counterterrorism units, that most of these um, attacks are carefully orchestrated where they are particularly using social media to trigger lone wolves so yeah lone wolves being people that are already inter interested in the subject matter and if you uh, well coming back to the previous podcast pinch them enough to 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 get their attention they may do something on let's say the bigger holy good on their behalf so the actual cell the terrorist cell that's orchestrating it stays out of sight and you have just that one little dumb person that's on their attic streaming the internet the entire time or scraping the internet. And now it's like, hey, let me go to action. But it's getting disturbing because it's, it's again, in public places where we have seen a couple of very horrific incidents. Last week, one in Brussels, the week before, one in um, um, the France train station. And those are places that I roam very often when I travel. And those are yeah. places where people are super off guard and it's super easy to attack people. So with that, I, I was anticipating on security to go up, but so far I haven't seen any visible security go up in those public places and that by itself i think is somewhat concerning because i anticipate looking at what i can see with my um fake identities or personas or virtual agents whatever you like to call them i can see that there is more activity than the last five years so there's clearly something going on but i haven't yet let's say put my finger on the spot what's exactly going on yeah, that's interesting because, you know, in the U.S., we we have had, you know, a plethora of active shooter situations, <clears throat> you know, and it, and it does kind of seem like some of the same kind of uh, TTP 
as you know you you have a lone wolf attack you have some weapon of choice you have uh an area that's chosen that's going to have you know low security aka gun-free zones where no one can shoot back and um you know i wonder if there's any kind of correlation there uh between the you know the psychology of some of those attackers if it's you know just the lone wolf uh guy that wants to be famous or is is you know mentally you know ill or if it if it is you know core correlated to something that's you know a deeper ideology right yeah yeah i think when it comes to that that with the comment that you made the lone guy or girl that wants to be famous so far i haven't seen any manifestos that's what you normally see with those people so for me that makes me feel somewhat confident to say that they are just doing this these attacks in part of being let's say what they think a greater good and not necessarily yeah. them trying to heroify themselves but do you think that it's a part of a, a larger campaign for to embolden more radical behavior in europe within the you know extreme islamic communities to uh you know kind of recruit or is it just you know maybe the negative sentiment of being displaced and and all the weirdness there in a new place you know what do we know about any of the the attackers themselves on their you know patterns of life personal profiles or anything like that so far what i've what i've been able to find out is that most of them um are trying to belong to something and in this case they're trying to belong to islamic state orientated thought goods um and of course, when you look at the overall agenda, when it comes to the Islamic State, their their methods were always trying to have those scare tactics. So okay. with having a stabbing incident, it simply shows, hey, we're still present in your area and we can do whatever we want when we want. And that scares people. And that also makes maybe some people choose sides. So maybe if some people think if I can't beat him, then maybe join him because I want to stay safe. Those are common tactics being used within those groups. You know, Nico, I'm definitely not an expert on this, but I wonder if the destabilization of Afghanistan could be um, helping fuel some of this as, you know, there's obviously more freedom there for them to kind of operate how they want, especially the extremists. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe, you know, maybe it's indirectly or directly affecting it. I Again, I'm, I'm not an expert, but when I look at the, major changes in the world you have syria and you have afghanistan as two major changes over the last what six eight years yeah. so that, that that could be an effect possibly well but also keep in mind that the last two years a lot of countries within europe and i don't know how that happened in the us that so people who went to syria so the locals from here so typical dutch guys and girls who went to syria and joined that holy fight of the islamic state now are being actively brought back by for example the dutch government so you have people that spent like almost a decade there being indoctrinated even having children there and they are now actively being brought back to the netherlands now uh, why are they uh, well, why are they bringing brought, being brought back to convict them over here but what could possibly oh, okay. go wrong with with people that you bring back over here because not all of them will be jailed they will they will they will basically bring them back uh, because they think they are still Dutch citizens and they have a Dutch passport, for example. But Belgium and Germany, they do the same thing. Yeah, and unlike the U.S., they, you guys are a little more uh, 
the, the sentences are short. Like, yeah. So yeah. even if they are guilty, yeah, they're going to be out. So what could, well, you guys go also, wrong? You, you guys also don't have Guantanamo and a no. strange, strange process there. And <laughs> yeah. possibly, I don't know if, I don't know if that's the uh, poster child for, <laughs> for the yeah. process, but and this is why you need Guantanamo for 500 Alex. No, I'm um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, well, that's interesting though. I mean, definitely there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, um, as far as violence, you know, you, you have this, you have, uh, strange acts of sabotage all over the place, you know, almost everywhere, the velocity of information that's coming out pretty much everywhere, almost for any topic you, you want to monitor the velocity is just moving so fast. It almost feels like we're moving at like 10 to 15 years every one to two weeks as far as the velocity yeah. um, as has been going and that's been going since COVID. So um, it's, it's definitely strange. COVID made people angry. COVID made people angry period. Oh, I think so. so. Pe pe people who were not, let's say angry with government or any regulations before now are way more angry. So I think things can, go sideways way quicker compared to pre-COVID because people are now just, they're, they're not putting up with that crap anymore. They're like, hey, we did, we did, for example, in Europe, we didn't see real demonstrations and rallies for decades. The last ones were in the 80s when people were uh, doing those anti-nuclear stuff demonstrations. <clears throat> and now during COVID and after COVID, all of a sudden people are willing to go physically on the streets again. And that by itself, shows something but also this just like a jet we see that scatter within the tools that we built with shadow dragon we see that scatter all the time that there is so much activity going on people are ready to take action period yeah i i don't know if it's ready to take action i think it's just possibly just standing up and saying look some of this bullshit is so hardcore from a government perspective from an individual, you know, that, that may not fit into a, a binary pattern of, you know, get the vax, don't get the vax, you're in society, you're out of society. A lot of people are just saying, look, you know, like, you're not, you're not requiring, you're not giving me any level of, of security in what the unintended side effects of this might be. I may not want to do it, or I may not fit into the pattern of, of needing it yet. It's, it's, pushed upon them. And I think a lot of people just don't like to be dictated to, you know, yep. this is, um, I, I don't think there's any surprise for me that, that people are standing up against being told what to do because, you know, for the last, you know, what hundred plus years, everybody, you know, Europe and America, um, combined have, have really been pushing this idea of, you know, a society that has some level of representation, not uh, uh, dictator, dictator based rules, you know? So I was surprised that more people didn't stand up earlier um, against all of this, just because some of it just seemed so ridiculous, you know, like yeah. poor planning with unknown unintended consequences everywhere. You know, even if we just look at our own business, you know, business and business life in general, you know. Yeah, I, th I think it, it took a little time because initially people didn't have that socioeconomic uncertainty. And and the last two to two and a half years, a lot of people got got way poorer than they were before. 
And that, that yeah. makes people want to stand up, which makes perfect sense. And, and oh, I and, think, and it gives uh, time, yeah. sorry, gives them time on their hands too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. True, true. You can only watch so much Netflix, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's going to get worse though, uh, sadly. You know, like you look at the the financial, you know, headwinds, you know, there is a lot of money moving around. Some portions of the market are really hot. And then other areas, you know, the cost of inflation to most people is is pretty hardcore right now. And I think it's going to get worse as the Fed continues to tighten their cycles and, you know, yeah. everyone Interesting else times. Yeah. 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 So that this kind of leads into our the 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 next topic at hand, which is, you know, tyranny against farmers where where farmers are going to, you know, farmers don't like being told what to do. They don't like to to be in um, in the city. They like to have, you know, some isolation, some peace of mind. And um, farmers are, are rising up against um, whatever the new regulations of the day by uh elected or unelected officials may be elliot uh nico what do you guys got on on this topic what's going on well i imagine nico's probably been stuck in a traffic jam or two because of this they uh they certainly like pushing hay bales on the road over there yeah um, definitely uh i'm you know looking at it from a perspective of you know not not being in the eu but you know just kind of watching it from afar i think uh I think if if your goal is to crack down, like I think it was nitrogen they're upset about, uh, the EU is, but it's like, if you're going to crack down on something like that, just saying, hey, next year you got to be, you know, 70% down or well, I don't remember the number exactly, but it's this huge cut. Like how in the world would they expect somebody who has been running these farms for hundreds of years in their families to just go, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll just go out of business. You know, so the behavior is not surprising at all that that they're acting that way, but I'm, I'm sure you might have a little more insight in that stuff than I do. Yeah. Well, it's mostly about the emission stuff and, and the nitrogen stuff where uh, basically they want to, to steal their land. There, there's no other way how I, how I could put right. it. Um, because they're saying, Hey, the Netherlands we have, uh, and that's fair to say compared to all the other countries within Europe, we have a very high density We're we are a very small country when it comes to miles and square kilometers. So we have a lot of farmers that, 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 yeah. Okay. They, they, they generate a lot of that emission compared to the rest of Europe. But you cannot expect them to like just like you said to stop their business just what well, just overnight. So, and and a lot of these farmers farmers are very willing to to think about, think out a plan, a longer term plan, saying, "Hey, right. yeah, this is that's, how that's this, getting this at, is yeah. how yeah this is how we can make this work uh, together with you, the government or the governments." Uh, but interestingly, so far it hasn't been going that well, and 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 they basically go to uh, to the streets. So they they block roads, they uh, they go to politicians, their homes, and and make their point. And well, they get a little bit ag aggressive now and then, which makes sense because if I had my family with a farm which we had for over 150 years, and now you're telling me that by the end of May we need to either uh, sell our land or do something that will cost us so much money that will put us out of business. I'd be angry too. Um, doesn't mean that I support <laughs> violence in general, but it makes sense, right? But it's almost kind of like how the United States was started. 
Tell me, tell me more. So exactly. I completely exactly. have my history lessons. Well, you know, you, 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 you had the British. It was a 3% you know, tea tax. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they increased a tax on tea. Right. And um, there were other, other issues going on um, between, you know, citizens within the United States area and the Brits. And eventually they felt like they didn't have any representation for, you know, with, with the government. And it was just, you know, being pushed down their throats. And eventually, you know, that's where we had our, you know, constitution uh, written up in our bill of rights where, you know, there's, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of, of happiness. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm botching it right now because I don't have it in front of me. But, you know, this is, you know, when, when, anytime you mess with people's money and you mess with their kids, and then I'd say the, the last last one would be their land or their their castle. Yeah. Human response is going to be pissed off, right? You know, and 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 the farmers, you know, like it's not just about producing food and and having a livelihood it's also about the relationship with the animals and the, the way of life that you know it's like there's a there's a switch getting turned on and off and 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 someone is saying oh this is now bad because yeah. of whatever emissions or whatever whatever idea that they think it is uh that that makes it you know a critical moment it's you know, I think from the farmer's perspective, they're like, look, this, this doesn't seem to add up. We don't need to have crazy, you know, PhD status and uh, know everything about climate and the, the changing of the earth to know that farming is pretty basic. Let's, let's keep it simple, you know? Yeah. No, but honestly, when, when, when I look at some interviews I see on Dutch TV or in, in media, uh, there are some PhD farmers over here that clearly know how this stuff works. And they clearly also now can, they can show that the plans that the government showed are, will not work and will never work. But interestingly, it's not only my country. I've noticed that recently, for example, in um, the, the areas of around Pakistan. So the lar the larger cities over there, um, they have farmers protesting because they are uh, not being paid well, they're not being taken care of properly, or they cannot sell their milk and eggs for the right price anymore because government set up new tax rules and that kind of stuff. So there's slowly, again, starting to grow a trend on a global scale when it comes to farming in general, where, well, for example, when, when we talk about the prices of a box of eggs, so 12 eggs right. in the box, it it's now four times worth the money compared to last year. Um, and no one exactly knows why uh, it just happened almost overnight. I have chickens in my backyard, Nico, so I certainly have no idea what. Uh... No, yeah, yeah. That's I, I think I think that's that's also a problem. Uh, what we see within, um, well, a lot of places in Europe is that we have such high numbers of people living in a very small amount of square miles, so they're. We don't, I, I can, for example, I cannot uh, have chickens in my backyard. My backyard is too small for that. I can't, I can't grow my own uh, greens or something like that. So with that, we are reliant on, 
let's say farmers, but if the farmers, their land is taken away or the prices are going up so high, it will make it nearly impossible to do business. Once again, let's, let's play, let's, let's blame centralized planning for uh, the lack of, of forethought on, you know, any urban and regional planning where there's going to be unintended consequences, right? So I yeah. mean, we, we've got the same thing in the United States, but for different problem sets, you know, some of the chicken stuff, that's definitely, I've heard, heard that we were talking about that earlier this morning, me and um, Elliot and a few groups of friends on, on text uh, where it's there, there are some interesting things, but also, you know, some of the, the other areas of, of bad centralized planning within, you know, suburban communities across the South Southwest um, and different parts of the United States is, is how they handle water. Right. And how they're, how they're, you know, places are saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, start this new community obviously we need water and utilities for the community. We're going to, we're going to tap in a, you know, 1200 foot well, and then boom, water tables in a whole region are, are lowered. And, and now you have, pro, you know, possibly the set, you know, that, that impacting places like, you know, like Mead and other places, you know, uh, in larger areas where someone is making a, a, a decision for a small community, not thinking about the larger, the larger impact, you know, but yeah, I, th that I still was... think it's fun to monitor the, the subject matter because oh, you yeah. see that that waterbed effect happening. It's pretty obvious, especially with what's going on in the Netherlands and the EU with the the nitrogen and that stuff. Is let's depending on where you land on the argument as to whether or not it's good or bad, kind of is irrelevant because even if you say, "Oh, it's terrible," we need to curb it. Saying, "Hey, just arbitrarily, you have to cut this off at this massive percentage," that's that lack of planning, and and that's yeah, that's going to upset yeah. people. Yeah, yeah and it, 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 discussion also is around biodiversity and that kind of stuff. And the farmers are like, yeah, hey, we can make our land have little flowers in the grass again because we now don't have it anymore because it's more efficient to produce milk or something like that. But it will not be cost effective. So either the, the government needs to jump in on that part or we need to figure out an, an alternative way to do it. We are more than willing to change those things, but it's not just something that we need to figure out on our own. Right. And that, that's kind of where I was going with that. This just sounds very heavy handed and just there yeah. wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, thought put into it. I mean, you look at this is not a perfect parallel, but the United States, we switched off analog television to digital in like the early 2000s. <laughs> they spent 12 years trying to get everybody ready for that. You know, it was, a, yeah. you know, so that because it was a big change and they spent 12 years doing that. And then you take something like someone's livelihood on a farm and you go, hey, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, They're going to be mad. I mean, yeah. Get the, it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Uh, although I um I do I do find it kind of funny. Uh, they protest on the roads better than we do. Our guys run out and stand in the street. They just put hay bales. That's I think that's smarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those and of course those farming tractors. With, there's no way for Dutch law enforcement those little Volkswagen cars to, right, to get right. those things out of the way, right? <laughs> yeah, you're basically gonna have to get a what the semi truck tow truck to pull something like that out of the way i mean we yeah. saw in canada when the truckers did that they realized how incredibly helpless they yeah. you know that that was no, they now rented like caterpillars and that kind of stuff just to be a little bit prepared just in case it's funny yeah, there's and, some and, and by the way what is going on in canada <laughs> with all that you know it kind of like it, it peaked last february march and then what yeah, it had, it, again that had a water effect, uh, water bed effect to France and the Netherlands again. So those truckers protesting. So we had uh, literally the phenomenons called convoys. So convoys of truckers and and let's say 
trucker related people just creating traffic jams all over Europe uh, just because it has well, mostly supply chain kind of uh, demonstrations. In Canada, a lot of it was they were telling them they had to get vaccinated and they couldn't cross the border if they yeah. weren't and they didn't want to. And if you think about the type of person that drives a semi truck across the tundra in Canada, that's not the type of person that you're going to convince easily of anything, really. And so exactly. if they said, hey, we're going to take your livelihood away, you can't you can't do this anymore. What did you expect them to do? Yeah. What did you ex- yeah. what did the what did what did Trudeau and those guys expect? I mean, whether where you land on the argument for yes or no, kind of irrelevant. You just took the guy's job away. What's he how's he going to act? Right. Yeah. Right. And and and, no. and if the goal is to control the populace, right? What works better? Pleasure or control? What have we learned over the last, you know, 200 plus years of just 200 years? One works. Yeah. One kind yeah. of works, but one definitely doesn't work. Yeah, and interesting, um, due, due to COVID, we will see that people are willing to team up with truckers. For example, the Yellow Vests immediately teamed up. Extinction yeah, Rebellion immediately yeah, teamed yeah, yeah. up. So all those groups are now friends. So they used to be frenemies, let's say, a little bit more. And now and now they really team. We see, we see outlaw motorcycle gangs team up with people that are, let's say, pro-farmer. And we it's it's I've seen mixes that I was like, 10 years ago, that would be that would be impossible. But I mean, the common thing here is individual rights and don't tread on me, man. Yep. Yep. You know, and and so that's an interesting kind of thread to pull on if, you know, if we're if we're wondering where is all this going? Is this a, a, a new revolution of individual rights moving forward in the future? And and you know, hopefully, bad politicians will uh, take a back seat and maybe have kids in the in Europe. You know, um, yeah. who knows? But I don't yeah, know. but but do not underestimate influence campaigns because if I was a certain nation state, I would also use and abuse these things. So farmer protests, trucker protests, Extinction Rebellion, and plant my little seeds in those echo chambers because then all I need to do is sit back and relax, and they do the work for me. And that's something that I'm clearly noticing. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I agree with that. I wonder I wonder how how much information until everybody just turns it off and says I don't I don't care about anything. You know, I don't care about yeah. social media. I don't care about the news. I just I want my eggs. Yeah, I I think Nico, I think you're you. I think that's really, I think that's common. Um, I mean, when we saw the back in the 2016 thing where everybody was upset about Russian influence on Facebook. If you look at the actual ads they did, they didn't just pick one side. They picked yeah. They picked different. They 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 pushed green energy stuff. They pushed um, sort of like right leaning sort of ideology as well as as well as left leaning ideology. I mean, it's all about division. disrupting society. Yeah, right. That's yeah. that's yeah. creating yeah. division. I agree. Yeah, so I agree with you. I think that that is the case. I was I wasn't. I'm not gonna say I was surprised when I saw that stuff from the Russian things, but it 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 was. I mean, we're talking back, we're going pretty far back in time before anyone even really took the internet all that serious when it came to sort of geo geopolitics. Now, me and you and Dan, I mean, we've this is the industry we've been in forever. So we obviously could see that, but the world generally couldn't. So it was obvious Russia and China and and uh, yeah, nation state act various nation I, state I gotta, actors. I, I gotta admit though, I was I was still very surprised at 
the impact of the DNC leaks, regardless of, you know, who's behind it. You know, I, I, I wasn't paying attention to, you know, what they were until like probably a week into it. I'm like, golly, I'm going to have to go read these emails. It sounds kind of, kind of cringy. This sounds kind of BS to me. And then when I started reading the emails, I was like, whoa, you know, like John Podesta is a weird dude. This is, this is super weird. Like I never heard of any of this stuff. And I think whoever else read the same thing with that, that's kind of weird. That's too weird. I don't understand it. There's no frame of reference in a normal, normal person's life. And, and from a, from a voting perspective, you know, the, the middle part of America is what's going to be ringing that bell. I think a lot of people are like, that's weird. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's also spot on because the vast majority of people will never spot these things because right. it's, it's not, it's not, it's not in, in, in their daily life. It's not what they, they need to pay attention to. They should be paying attention to these things happening, but you can't expect it from that because their life right. is just doing your nine to five job, raising your kids and every those outside influences not necessarily trigger you on saying, Hey, maybe there's a bigger picture trying to influence me or something like that. Right. And I, I think people are, are waking up to that, but I think, and this is kind of going into our next topic of data dumps and irregular warfare. Um, what is, you know, what is, what is what does irregular warfare look like? What does the asymmetrical warfare look like um, in in light of social media, all these you know channels to push information, as well as uh, a, a tool for for warfare in in a time of of change that could be political change or it could be something similar to you know the the Ukraine and Russia conflict and and I've really been thinking about this a lot. I'd love to to hear y'all's perspective on it, but kind of a lot of people are asking, like when I'm talking about this recently, is like, well, what is asymmetrical warfare? What is irregular warfare? And I'll just break it down to a few few things from my perspective, having a past doing computer exploitation, vulnerability discovery, exploit development, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's different puzzle pieces out there in in the world and let's take russia for example they've got you know um they've got a military they've got um logistics in that military yet they also have an infrastructure and an economy uh with all these digital assets that rely on computers right and with computers the computer exploitation process um makes makes certain attacks very advantageous advantageous to a very um, a much smaller select group of attackers to to tilt the scales in their favor for an outcome and what does that look like so like let's say i want to go um take apart an application right i'll spend a lot of time reverse engineering it i'll i'll document every vulnerability or or problem that i may see you know along the way, but I'm really kind of taking all this time to familiarize myself with an application and the systems around that application to discern vulnerability classes that are, you know, low risk, medium risk, high risk, and critical risk vulnerabilities. And 
as we know with computer systems, we've got read access, write access, execution access, you know, and a lot of times when you need to put together an exploit, you're not going to get auto execution anymore because that's super hard, much like, you know, we're not going to be able to tilt the scales to change a, a country to, to, you know, be a, you know, you know, uh, something with, you know, elected officials and true representation and democracy overnight, we know that's also not going to happen sometimes for 50 or 60 years, right? So back to the, the computer exploitation, I hacker math is where some of this comes into play, where if I can find low-risk vulnerabilities, two or three low-risk vulnerabilities, one might be read execution read read access one might be write access and and the other might enable some execution access i can tie those things together from a computer perspective and i can you know turn this these few low risk vulnerabilities in an application into one super critical vulnerability that i can exploit right and how that kind of methodology i call it hacker bat, hacker math you know, one plus one does not equals two. One plus one can equal seven. And now it's a critical vulnerability that can get exploited. That kind of methodology is being played out in front of us with data dumps, with systems being compromised, and then open source intelligence overlaid on top of whatever the data points are in each computer compromise that's leaked out to enable, you know, full attribution on folks that may have been, you know, super spies for a long time, or may have been working with another country and nobody knew about it. And that, that paints us a picture of, oh, look at these, you know, look at these foreign policy uh, connections that we didn't know about before. What are they talking about? You know, it, the, the overlay of computer exploitation and open source intelligence creates this cool vacuum of irregular warfare that's being exploited in front of us in a way that I don't think we've seen ever, which is really exciting. And I am going to go out on a limb think to say, like, I think that what we're watching with Russia is really very similar to the Berlin Wall coming down with some of these, you know, systems being exploited, some of the data that's coming out, how that data can be pivoted on either with tools or manually and, and what additional color it brings to the global landscape for irregular warfare, right? As, as I, I think this is what world war three is looking like. This is the tip of the spear. And um, that's my intro for the data dumps and the irregular <laughs> warfare. Right. Um, and now can you guys take the ball on a few of the data dumps that are, that are kind of, resonating and and showing up in different places right now yeah um i found it particularly interesting to find uh, to have that recent yandex leak how um well basically their github repositories were leaked to the internet mm -hmm. and that showed clearly how their um their algorithms worked and there still there there needs to be a lot of analysis still about those documents i went through them to some extent 
but also I simply need help because there's some language in there and some language difficulties in there. Also from a developer's programming perspective that I cannot always immediately comprehend. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's interesting to learn about how they try to stem results or how they like to uh, filter out certain results when you use their, uh, their system. And, and, and alternatively, we, we see uh, a similar dump uh, um, that, that you uh, posted about, uh, the, the, the Russian Snowden version, if you may say. So you had, you, you had a good word for it. Yeah, so. yeah, the Snowdenized. I called it the Snowdenized dump. Um, yeah. it, basically, surveillance, surveillance capabilities within, within Russia on their citizens that, that actually are outside of the, the, the bounds of their, air quotes, legal framework, if there is a legal framework in Russia for for uh, lawful intercept and surveillance um that's what that dump was about yeah but 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 not only but not only it's not only russia orientated because we've seen that that big twitter leak recently uh yeah. we've seen other huge leaks we've seen a uh, large let's say cyber company uh leaks uh that that, that provide certain solutions that their data sets being leaked and that by itself is all part of what you say that asymmetric warfare they're they're trying to uh disrupt uh Recently, we had Killnet, the 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 APT group, uh, announcing that they will attack hospitals worldwide, and that by itself is pretty smart because maybe they are already in those systems, and if you're going to announce it, then maybe you will see hospitals take countermeasures, so that will give you yeah. more vision. Uh, but otherwise, if you're going to announce it, you will also see that people might come after you, so you will see that you will now have red teams and all kind of hunting groups be going after Killnet. So it, it's, I think from the people who are behind Killnet, it's a very smart move because either way they triggered action just by announcing something. Online. Right. And, and you're also seeing the ransomware ecosystem start to incorporate public relations. Yep. It's, it's crazy. It's so people crazy. for hire. They right. give you vacation days, holidays, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. It's, it's, I've, I, if you would ask me this 15 years ago, would you let, let's see official job openings for APTs somewhere posted online, clearly visible, so you don't even have to let's say go into the deep or dark web and into some obscure place. No, it's just out in the open. Hey, want to work for this APT? Here's here, here, the link where you can apply. It's right. it's crazy, right? Yeah, and and kind of getting on a small rant. We are now in kind of the uh, non-disclosure phase of of exploit disclosure. Many years after that debate started in early two thousands, and the the zero day scene is booming. Yeah, so it's business. You know, it's like big business. You know, I, I I've been I was listening to a friend. He's talking about you know some of the buys that that they're doing on phone stuff, and I mean pretty much everything's owned all the time. Yeah, you didn't you didn't have that fifteen years ago. At least no. to the extent that it is now, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I, I spotted recently something owned my thermostat. I was looking at oh, the really? network logging, mm-hmm. and it started talking to something in China. Ah, fun! Out of out of the out of the blue, just so he doesn't get on the internet anymore. <laughs> that device doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, but that, but that by itself, that comment, it doesn't get on the internet anymore. But we are at a stage that we buy devices that, by default, will. Go. I recently bought a toothbrush, an electrical toothbrush, and oh, I was, yeah. and it had Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connectivity. I'm like, it's a damn 
toothbrush. Why should it connect to anything? It should just, just bought a fridge. I just yeah. brought a fridge that's got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi on it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Why why we're doing it ourselves. We're doing this to ourselves when it comes to being vulnerable. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So kind of backing backing up on back into the the comments on the Yandex leak. Some of our listeners may or may not know what kind of the impact there is. Just for context, Yandex is the Google of Russia on steroids. It's 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 pretty effective yeah. too. I mean, it's and, an, uh, it yeah. works well. Like it's, yeah, they're, it's, they're it's a super good. Yeah. They're, they're Binding AI, phases. Yep. Yeah, Binding phases. You know, true it's image scalable NLP. Hey, anybody who wants to do some real NLP in multiple languages, just look at their code base. I'm sure it has a bunch of great stuff. We also had the Twitter. The Twitter leak was really exciting. I know we we went through some of the data and. It looks like that leak was a situation where it wasn't so much of a leak as like a scrape using a sort of a hack in the API. Uh, what's interesting though, from what I was reading, and this is just kind of internet hearsay, it looks like Twitter knew about this for a long time and didn't fix it. And so, now, which leak is the is this though? Because there were there were there were three incidents within a very short amount of time. Some of them were, one of them looked like a compromise. One of them looked like just normal data scrape. And then, you know, it, it would, it was, it's it was, the data scrape one. I'd have to, I'd have to pull it up and see exactly. But what was interesting about that though, was it gave us emails and a lot of really good information on Twitter users. And that allowed, that's really helpful to identify who's running multiple accounts. I think that was yeah. one of the really powerful aspects of the Twitter leak. Like if you go, look, I have a few stock puppets that I use in certain areas. And those are linked to emails that are just random stuff. But I have some that are just all linked to the same email I've got, you know. So if you go in the breach and you can see that, you can see, oh, these three accounts are controlled by by me. So that's a, that's a really, that's one of the most interesting things I, that, that came out of that Twitter, that Twitter dump. Uh, there's also a floating around the no-fly list that, uh, that was, um, that was, I that believe, interesting a, one. Wasn't it just an open file on a server for for? Yeah, like it was. PSA? It was just a mis misconfigured little thingy. Yeah, yeah. someone yeah. forgot to pull the switch. Yeah, so that'll. I think that'd be from a nation state perspective. That'd be a very interesting list. Uh, you know, yeah. to look at. You know, if if I'm a Dutch, you know, why do you know why would there be a Dutch person on there or something like that? You know, so I don't know the ins and outs of how they communicate that back and forth. I know there's a little bit of communication between. EU and US on on and or I guess five I countries on that kind of thing, but certainly seeing that list from a nation state nation state perspective is is going to be really interesting for for yeah. certain groups. So yeah, absolutely, yep. yeah. But I think when it comes to any leaks and breaches recently, it's just the amount of stuff that people share online. That's just also so worrying. People share so much details. Uh, yeah. It's it's. But also, when you sign up for a flashlight app on the Android store or the Apple store, why do you need to share your camera roll? Why do you need to share your contact list? Why do you need to provide it your credit card number? It's just a flashlight app, for example. It's just people don't ask questions. People don't doubt the stuff that they use. I don't know if it's that or, or they don't know how to engage in conflict properly, right? Like. Yeah, 
just say no that's that's one one way to do it and then you know there's no avenue in some of these apps to say you know voice your concerns or or even have a, a true public discussion or dialogue it's just take it or leave it across the board and there's no place to voice that you know yeah, same counts, for example, that TikTok example that popped up recently where people in China had certain, let's say, anti-government pictures on their phone and um, TikTok was able to delete those pictures from their camera roll. So that, that by itself, <laughs> I hadn't heard that. It's, it's pretty I hadn't heard interesting. that one. That's that, pretty good. So there were, there, were, there were certain individuals that, that were using TikTok that had, let's say, anti-Chinese government information in the form of photos or videos. <laughs> a and picture of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and this mysteriously disappeared from their phone. And that by itself, again, shows that everything that's for free, you are the product and they basically own you. Yeah, that, uh, that is something that if, if people ask me a lot about safety for kids and stuff, because, you know, that you know, my kids online a lot. I don't know a lot, man. That's the first thing. If it's free or the product, you know, yeah. the, the cow thinks the grass is free. Yeah. And it all, it also comes again to the discussion this week where uh, uh, Twitter announced that their API will no longer be for free. I, I, I just drink my coffee behind my computer and I laugh about the people that are like, it has to be free. It has to be free oh, for yeah. years. And I'm like, dude, you don't own the platform. You're just a guest there. Uh, and if someone else now owns that shop, they can do whatever with that with that shop that they want. And of course, um, in this case, Elon bought that platform for billions and billions of dollars. Right. He clearly showed people that it's not making, it didn't make any money for the last 10 years and he wants his money back. So he comes up with ways well, to generate money. I, I think there's going to, there, there may be some really good outcomes comes from that because let's let's not forget that Twitter didn't want to give a lot of commercial access to the data. They wanted to have like this super fire hose where you pay like lots and lots of money and then you can't really share the information. You can't commoditize it most of the time. Yeah, that was the GNIP well, one, right? Right, <laughs> no right. Good, good, uh, yeah, GNIP, yeah. And we, we talked to those guys for, for a good bit. And if you got into that program, right, you were in. But, you know, it was it was a lot of money, and they they would they would do some pretty good technical requirements for for joining. But really, it was very exclusive access and uh, limited access, and it cost a lot of money. And then on the flip side, you had this really neutered API that didn't really give you that much information, and you know opening up the free market to this a little bit, hey, maybe that can change things a little bit where if 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 you can pay, you know, a reasonable price for some of the data that you need, that that may open up the the collection universe a little bit better and um, people have better insights and maybe businesses will want to use it as well for for pushing marketing campaigns, you know, like we never wanted to put, use Twitter for pushing marketing campaigns just because there was so much bias for a while. Um, we didn't know what the real ROI was because they couldn't articulate it from a business perspective. It was just like, we're great. We're awesome. You should do it. And it's like, well, how, how directed can this get or how helpful can this get? You know, it, I think a, Twitter being changed a good bit is probably going to be a good thing. 
and people are going to screech about what they can collect or what they can't collect because they can't, you know, write good collectors, but whatever, you know. It's just funny to see that people are being pulled out of their comfort zone from a certain oh, platform. Yeah. And, now, and now they need to do or adjust, and adjusting is hard mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah, I yeah. think um, I think kind of going back to a little bit about what we talked in the last episode, just about the splintering of the internet. There's, you know, we saw back in like 2016 to around 2020, somewhere in there, we saw a pretty massive exodus um, from YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and places like that of some more right-leaning groups. And they went out and created things like, you know, just various, I won't name all the platforms. They created a bunch of different platforms, but a lot of them have died off. And then there's sort of like one or two that's come, um, they have like one or two that came up that are like the big ones now. Um, and, right. and Elliot, can you kind of refresh everybody in case they weren't on the last episode of, of kind of your, your thoughts on the splintering of the media and social media, you know, where users are shifting what they've done in the past and where you think. Yeah, sure. So generally the, speaking, future. what, you know, going over the history of, you know, the history of just sort of the internet or sort of social, the social aspects of the internet, not, not the tech necessarily, but we started in a very raw state. We started with IRC type things. We started with, you know, Yahoo chats and games and things became more and more polished. And you, you see that with Instagram now, you know, every picture on some of these accounts looks like, like some kind of amazing work of art. And, uh, it, what's happening is, uh, the kids, the, the parents are the ones on Instagram and, and things like that. And so they want something raw. So they're moving to things like be real and, and sort of raw or sort of social media, a little more personal Snapchat's an example of that to some extent. Um, yeah. but there's also, a fracturing of, I mean, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning, uh, Nico, of just people getting more upset about things. And those groups have been splintering online. So in 2016, uh, there was a lot of the whole El Russian disinformation, you know, face was, was messed with the elections and, and all this kind of stuff. And so all of a sudden you saw all the social media platforms actually start trying to stop, start trying to adjust how they do things. You know, they would, you know, demonetize someone on YouTube and that person would get upset and go to a new platform. And so that generally affected the more right-leaning groups at that point. But now that Elon bought Twitter, we're seeing the exact same pattern happen with the left as they're splintering out. They're, they're firing up Mastodon servers all over the place and, and joining them. We've seen that. Uh, we actually have a, some pretty good tech uh, to, to look at Mastodon in, in, Shadow, in, in our Shadow Dragon systems. But what will happen is there'll be a lot of them then a few strong ones will survive. The rest will fall apart. And then people will go back to Twitter until we splinter again off of Twitter. And right. so these ecosystems from an open source intelligence perspective are fantastic. The smaller a group is, the more they tend to trust each other and the more extreme they tend to act. If you, if you don't believe me, check out 4chan for, for 10 minutes. But, you know, the idea is, is that gives us insight into, into that world. And it also ties back to the asymmetrical warfare thing. Uh, I can do a lot more quote unquote damage in those small groups than I can being a fly in millions on Twitter. And and that also plays into kind of our targeting and, and attribution playbook, which is if we can get home court advantage, if you, if you can change the field to a new field, you can put in the new rules, you can, you can pinch folks, you can target them easier in a smaller spot. 
and you get better, better results, you know, better return on investment on your, on your attribution. And, and then it just kind of continues to happen, you know? Also, I think when you look at, we, we briefly touched upon this also on the previous episode that you see that, let's say almost every seven to 10 years when you see a generation change. So when people grow up, they have a need for newer platforms or, or let's say mm -hmm. a newer perspective. This is when we see new apps pop up or a different look and feel of apps. So sometimes more raw, sometimes more polished, sometimes more decentralized, sometimes more centralized. It, it, it's, you can see that almost it's a cycle of every seven to 10 years where you see that change overall, that overall behavior. It's right. so simple. When people grow up, they become young adults to adults to that kind of stuff. Some of it's just, I don't want to do that because my parents do it and it's not cool at all. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right, right. But I mean, still pulling on that thread of, hey, there's a new platform or the new this, this new platform enables XYZ. That does give us better opportunity, right? Um, so like we started seeing this when Elliot and I were working on a lot of anti-human trafficking um, processes and curriculum and stuff like that. Once, once you got the girl or the, the pimp, uh, the girl being the victim or the pimp into a, a different scenario, we just had so much or a, like a different platform or, or a different communication medium. We had so many different new avenues for, for attribution because they just didn't have the time to do the OPSEC. They didn't have the time to, to think about where what are the unintended consequences of being on this new platform? You know, they just wanted to move their product or move their messaging as fast as possible. Um, so I, I am kind of intentionally shifting the combo over to some of the anti-human trafficking stuff, but, and, and I want to talk about a few different scalable workflows that, that we've had um, in the midst of getting access to, you know, a new playing field or a new platform. Um, Elliot, I'll, I'll give you the mic in a second, but I'm going to talk about um, one sim very simple workflow for folks that are doing anti-human trafficking uh, investigations is looking at the phone number that's tied to an ad, right? Because the girl has to have the ad or the, the pimp or the girl. And, and that phone number is usually controlled in some way by her handler or the trafficker. And um, the phone number is either going to, the, the carrier settings on that phone number or the carrier uh, attributes on that phone number are, are what can give us a, a really good insight into either this is a, a victim um, or, a, or, you know, a human trafficking victim or, or sex worker, right? And so looking at the carrier settings of that are tied to the phone and the, and the the platform that the phone is on is very helpful. So what are the carrier settings that would be, I would say, look for, um, is it a cell phone? Is it a data provider? Is it voice over IP? You know, so typically the traffickers or the handlers are going to try to, to treat these girls in a way that they can control their communication medium the most they possibly can. So the girl's going to be in a hotel um, with Wi-Fi. Right. But a lot of a lot of the additional things that would come with that 
may not work. Like, you know, she, she may not have a, um, a cell, a cell phone, right. But she's got wireless access to communicate data and the app that, that they're using typically kind of, if you look at the carrier settings, it can tell us whether this is a VoIP app or tied to an actual application from the vendor. And then you start looking at that and you start seeing, Hey, you know, like most, you know, a good more than 80% of, of the trafficking victims out there are in this scenario. So if you can just identify the carrier type and it's not a cell phone, um, nine times out of 10, that's, that's your, you know, prioritization, that this is a victim versus a, a worker. Uh, Elliot, tell yeah. us about uh, some of your, your workflows and other so things that, that we've done. When we talk about human trafficking, you, you definitely started on a point I really like phone numbers. Um, even even the smartest uh, even the smartest person is going to screw that up sometimes. So generally, what happens is you have the handler or, or the pimp. He's got his phone, and all of the ads for these girls online they're going to come back to that phone or many phones. Now, if he's smart, he's going to have multiple numbers and things like that. The thing is they don't get a new number every single time they post an ad or something like that. So they will screw up or sometimes intentionally do it. Um, also, one thing it's, that's kind of cool about the human trafficking crowd is <laughs> they're not always the smartest. I mean, it's true of all sort of you know crime groups, but these guys, they tend to, that's an area they screw up. So you have the phone number and then you also have the Venmos, the cash apps, the PayPal's, that kind of stuff that are linked to the ads. And a lot of times what you'll see it's a good indicator of a trafficking victim versus a sex worker. Is you'll see uh, maybe a, a cash app that says, you know, um, sexy, you know, sexy Angela, and then you, but the girl's name in the ad is like, you know, Patricia or something, and that's a good indicator that that um, why would that be a you know a different name? And and that that world they do kind of go by different things and stuff, but but that's an indicator. So then you start with like what Dan was talking about, where we where we take the phone number. We can see information about the phone, but the other things we can see connected to the phone number a lot of times are, you know, what's the cash app connected to it? What's the what's the Skype connected to it? What what's what else is here? Um, sometimes that can be a dead end, but even if it is a dead end, if we're seeing the same number across multiple ads, that still ties them together. So all we need is a data point across any of those ads uh, to figure something out. So a, a good example of a data point like that would be, you know, an alias uh, for like a for a uh, PayPal or for a or cash app. And from there, a lot of times we can go from that alias and possibly find something else that's connected to. I've seen Duolingo many times uh, connected that people kind of just forget about that, I guess. And they are trying to learn a language or do something. And then that helps you start unraveling, you know, who possibly, who possibly is behind that. It's, it's a pretty straight, it's a relatively straightforward workflow. Uh, and then you get into the more nuanced uh, approach of like, if you've got hotel rooms, what do the hotel rooms look like? Um, you know, what, uh, you know, do, are, are we, you know, how do I differentiate between sort of just a sex worker and, and someone who's being trafficked? You know, things like, do you see a track mark on her back? You know, somebody who's a sex worker is yeah. not going to have a track mark in their back ever. And so there, there's little things like that, that you look for. And, and the, the accumulation of all of that information, um, it makes it much easier to piece together the network and, and, and who's behind it. And the more sophisticated ones have multiple layers too. You know, you'll have handlers and you'll have people they report to. Uh, and that's where, that's where things get, 
get pretty interesting. But one of the things about that particular world is they have to sell, they have to sell their product online. And yep. that gives us that gives us insights, uh, you know, from an OSINT perspective. Nico, I know you've worked on a lot of stuff like that. Do you have any thoughts on that sort of workflow? Um, I like, I, well, the things you already discussed and the, vis the visual intelligence analysis is something that uh, should never be underestimated. Uh, um, for example, in Europe, uh, you see a lot of those sex workers and human, tra human traffic uh, sex workers, uh, their faces being blurred. But you will see the same lingerie, uh, let's say, across multiple platforms in different language, in different countries. Or they will use the same picture um, for their German advertisement as their, let's say, Belgian advertisement. It's it's the same. So the visual intelligence is really important. But also just looking at, for example, uh, a power outlet could tell you where the picture was originally taken because power outlets all around the world may look different. Little niche things that, yeah. that could help you uh, pivot or different girls, same rooms, the, the, those kind of Small, yeah, that's thing. I didn't yeah. mention that. That's a really good one, right there. Yeah, like, you see the same she, room. It's is she taking the same? Is she taking the picture, or is someone else taking the picture? That's one of our yeah. our, our rules yeah. for sure. And then the 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 wallpaper, you know, yeah. what's what's the what's the room look look like? Does that give us, you know, a, a hotel brand, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, know, and uh, that's also interesting when it comes to. But this reminds me of the time when I did. Um, uh, child abuse cases so child pornography cases where you would see that people were taking to hotels young kids uh, but the carpeting of most hotels is unique per hotel or hotel chain and that will help you at least narrow down where where someone was at that moment in time yeah that's a that's an excellent one nico some of the some of the worst offenders i've ever heard of i can think of two different cases where it was a bed a, a sheet a bed uh, uh the like a comforter and carpet mm -hmm. those are the two things and it's it, so yeah the visual aspect of that is 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 incredibly important uh if you if you can engage a target too you can learn a lot through that as well you know if you yeah. and that's another thing about communicating with these people is is um you you can if you if you have the ability to communicate with them depending on your role you know whether law enforcement or what there's a variety of techniques we can use to you know identify information, maybe an IP, maybe a cell tower, maybe, maybe a lat long, uh, things like that by just talking a little bit with them. So yeah. Uh, yeah. One, one funny thing that comes to mind immediately is that at a moment in time, when I did these cases, we were allowed to phone them. We, we phoned them yeah. on hours where they did not work. Why? Because we wanted to hit their voicemail because their voicemail was the pimp's voice and not the girl's voice. So we, now we knew that <laughs> that's, good. Like, that's a good, that's one, a yeah. good, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, the same techniques also, uh, not the same exact techniques, but the same kind of breadcrumb analysis is helping with the identification of a lot of different spies across Europe and Brazil. Nico, you were kind of bringing that up. And we, we've been going through a lot of different stories the last, what, month and month or two months of just how many people are getting, you know, tagged that are, you know, Russian-based spies through open source intelligence and operational security issues. What are you guys seeing on that? You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that's well, pretty the, hot. The, amount, and the cool. amount of diplomats being expelled and, and people being caught, it, it's it's crazy. Well, it makes sense, right? The Ukraine war. But I think what I'm, I'm clearly noticing that there were now at least three incidents where um, alleged spies were caught 
that they origin or they spend at least a decade or so in in or around Brazil, um, basically trying to build their persona there. So mm-hmm. clearly, that is important to the way they operate. So that by itself is very interesting intelligence to me, uh, but also just looking at uh, how s- most of these spies that were caught so far are somewhat older, let's say above 40 and 45. So they were all, let's say, pre-internet spies, which means that they have online footprints because they were not aware as much of the risks of being exposed. So their OPSEC was pretty low. Recently, I worked on a case when I looked at two Swedish spies and it was just just out in the open. They posted it, the Swedish Post posted uh, the location. So... I had a picture of their home. All I needed to do was geolocate it. So now I know the street. Then I started looking for that street name and who maybe finding people who filed for something. So I found two businesses attached to that. Uh, I found other names. I found their social media just by one news article. One news article, a yeah. starting point, and then just critical thinking and pivoting. And you could basically find 15 to 20 year, years of them being sloppy online. That's that's it. Yeah, I, I I can correlate that as well. Like the the age range, almost anybody above thirty five has a good you know breadcrumb trail on the internet. You know, is that going to be totally exploitable or not? But I I've seen the same thing and done some really good attribution on folks that where I'm like, wow, like you guys look like super spies, yeah. and you know. It's just yeah, and it doesn't mean doesn't mean that this is only the Russians that are, let's say, making no, those sloppy mistakes. This is all. I, think, any I, spy I, I, I say all of those spook folks. They 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 all kind of have the same problem. If they're above the age of thirty five, hey, you probably need a you know a better yeah. assessment program, whatever that is. You know, nowadays, you know, the spies of the future, kids today, playing Minecraft and Roblox. So, I think yeah. the trail is going to get even harder to cover, even if you want to. You know, right. Yeah. My when what frustrates me is when someone's like, Hey, there's a 75 year old cartel guy. We want you to help find him. I'm like, That's a lot harder than, uh, than the, uh, yeah, sort of 30, so 40 thir- year old, thir- 35 to like 65 is the golden yeah. area. Yeah. <laughs> I think the interesting part now is with all the, the spice being caught, it clearly means that, um, all the countries were already watching. In this case, the Russians, so they already knew it. But some, in some cases, they they have let it go for decades because it makes sense, right? If you're going to expel someone, you no longer have sight on them. You no longer have eyes and ears on them. So you could better, in some cases, you can just better let it exist in a controlled situation. Yeah. Because now you know. And now, and that basically, uh, when you look at, I'm looking at a document now uh, that that I'm keeping track of. So the last year by itself only, I've got more than a hundred expelled diplomats, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and I've got two, four, six, twenty, thirty-six um, people being arrested for spying all over the world. So from U.S. to Slovakia, to Poland, to Belgium, to uh, the Netherlands, to Germany, Norway, Sweden, it's everywhere. So it means that people clearly already knew about that. 
That's a good now point. they're just exposing them. And, and, and that's also funny because when you look at this, uh, normally there's no need to expose those spies, their names to the press. But that's also, again, part of that, that warfare game that we were right. talking about earlier. They will, they will not only expose their persona name, but they will also expose their official passport name. Right. So with and that, their picture. So and now, yeah, now so, that everyone's got biometrics everywhere. Okay, dude, it's not yeah. just they're not just banned from that country. They're banned from operating. Go back home. You know, do yeah. not collect two hundred dollars. Right. Yeah, and for and for me and for let's say OSINT enthusiasts all around the world, it's like every time when I see an article, I'm like, hold my beer, let me fire. Yeah, yeah, me laptop. too. Right. <laughs> just, just it's it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's so much for me. It's also so much fun just to see how much I can find based upon someone from which you now know that they they try to hide for decades because that's what they do. They hide and they collect information. And I'm like, now let me see what I can find. Just right, right, right. Just, right click, boom. <laughs> maybe we need an achievement, uh, like an Xbox Live achievement system for you, Nico, and all the spy hunters out there. Oh, you unlocked yeah. achievement. Ten, 10 spies moms found. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But yeah, but but that by itself is also a little bit disturbing because because people people choose to be that's a good comment. People uh make a decision to become a spy for a government or for their government, but yeah. they also have families that may have nothing to do what dad or mom does. <clears throat> they they are just part of that family. And now the situation that their mom or dad is can be really disturbing and could really uh let's say get them into trouble as well. And that's something that they did not ask for. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. That's a good yeah, point. We're, yeah. We're, we're definitely point. in the golden age of open source intelligence and, you know, illuminating these things, especially with, you know, our tools and the training that we have, you know, we've got a huge bench. Nico's Nico's on it now too. So, Hey, <laughs> sign up for training. Yeah. Tell tell them that you want the special training class that we don't have on the website because nobody wanted to do a five day class. <laughs> you know. Um, so one of the funny things this last week, shifting shifting out of that topic, is over over to the you know the Chinese spy balloon that that has been going on the last what week and a half, two weeks, or whatever. Elliot, what do you got on different tools that people can use? what they can play around with just for fun, you know, um, we, they can, we, they can <laughs> spin up in their house while they watch Jeopardy or whatever. You know? Oh no, flight, you know, flight aware and flight radar. You can, you can pretty much see any, any plane that's up there in the sky. And we were watching these planes just circle that thing for, oh gosh, I don't know, three days or something like that. Three, three or four days. Yeah. 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 So First, first of all, we knew, we know they knew exactly what the equipment was on that because they were right next to it a bunch. And, uh, and two, it was pretty obvious that no one could hide from doing that. <laughs> and when they went to shoot it down, they shut down the airspace directly over that area. So they're like, okay, they're about to shoot, they're about to shoot that thing down. But I'll, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I, I was not, not to dive too far into politics, but I was not real excited about the idea of people just launching weather balloons over each other's countries and not setting a precedence of shooting them down. Cause I kind of feel like that's reasonable, you know, like that seems like if you want to fly it over for some kind of research project, tell them, Hey, we're going to, we're going to fly this thing over. We're going to, you know, 
study clouds or whatever. And, you, you know, but I, uh, I was surprised that it took him that long to finally do that, but we were able to see what was going on and historically what was going on. They obviously knew it was there before it really was heavily public. You could see planes flying around near it. Um, in some research too, before, before it hit Reddit and stuff like that, I noticed there was some amateur, um, uh, photographers just using, uh, lenses on their dslrs and telescopes to spot it there was some people that spotted it pretty far west and went what is this you know kind of thing so uh, nico you mentioned there's some tech you can use to track weather balloons that people were spinning up that i'm not super familiar with but yeah so you can um you can buy an rtl str so basically it's a usb stick that you pop into your laptop mm -hmm. and uh, as long as your antenna is in range of a device so the bigger your antenna or the more specific your antenna is, you can pick up anything. So I run this on a Raspberry Pi on my home, just as a side hobby, just to track all the planes within. And my antenna can take, I think, around a radius of 500 kilometers. So, and, and that's an antenna that's like that's like 15 centimeters high. So that's Elliot, so is that the radio I, transponder on there? Is that I, I yeah, I've got yeah. one of these. I'll I'll give it to you, man. If you wanna if you wanna spin it up on your on your yeah. uh, rig, you sure. know. Well, I have I got a big antenna on my roof. <laughs> I know. You, well, you just you just plug it right into your computer. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. And 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 you can even then if you share your your basically your tracked information, some databases like ADSB Exchange will also give you for free then access to their overall global coverage database. But it's not only for planes; you can also do the same stuff for boats. The AIS uh, yeah. tracking. Uh, weather balloons. Uh, you can even uh, use those little RT RTL SDRs to tap into radio waves. So find number stations and uh, basically every, it's singles intelligence in essence. It's not, yeah, well, it's still yeah. an open source. But you're, talk, you're talking to, you're talking to a guy that's done most of the work on his computer. So this is all fascinating to me. So, so that's, for me, it's like, you buy those little antennas for like 60 bucks on Amazon and, and all you need to do is find some YouTube tutorial somewhere or somewhere and they will tell you how to set it up. It's like 15 minutes worth of work yeah. and then you can start collecting that data. It's, it's, then, it's fun and interesting. And then the SDRs are so fast now, you know, like the hack RF that came out, what, like five or six years ago, that was awesome. But now there's like, there's like so many of these on the market. They're just so fast on scanning and and picking stuff up. It's it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. You would be amazed about the amount of aircraft of any sort that will be flying around your home that you had no idea. Of. So and just seeing just like you said, sometimes seeing those interesting patterns where planes fly like in very in specific square boxes or circles, where you're like, hmm. Now let me look at Google Maps and see what's on the ground there. Maybe there's an interesting, uh, I don't know, military base or nuclear plant or power plant. And why mm -hmm. is this little Cessna uh, flying uh, uh, over all these vicinities in, let's say, two weeks' time in a certain area? That by itself is interesting. Or it's like in Miami, just like tracking the super, super drug dealer guy. This is his house. This is where he goes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's fun stuff. Yeah, I, I pull up FlightAware a lot just on my phone, just when I'm out in the country and I see something up in the sky and go, okay, who is that? Most yeah. of the time it's American Airlines. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. I think the funny thing is, with, if you have your own antenna, you can also see um, the planes that are not so non commercial, so military, that kind of stuff. And of course, they can, um, they can jam it or turn it off. But on average, I can see Reaper drones, I can see anything 
uh, with my little antenna. It's 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 yeah. super fun. Well, then there's the trade-off of if you're flying around without that thing turned on, and you're and there's a plane up there that doesn't have radar. I mean, that's dangerous. So I would think yeah. most most those groups are going to keep that stuff on. So. Uh, you'd, you'd be amazed, for example, when we talk about ships, Iranian ships and Chinese ships that spoofed their AAS somewhere to be in the middle of a city just to not let you know. And But again, just like you said, people are watching everywhere. So you have boat spotters, plane spotters, car spotters all around the world. So even when people obfuscate those radio signals, we still have eyes and ears everywhere. This is why I love Ocean, man. We, there's yeah. so much information. Yeah, yeah, I saw I saw a tiny bunny trail. I saw um, a technology last week that, you know, cars are so that they're pretty much the same unless it's custom built. Man, the uh, algorithms to read what type of cars in a picture in the year model is incredibly yeah. accurate. Like we're talking like ninety nine percent. If it can see something like twenty five percent of the body of a vehicle, it's like it can tell you the the, yep. the year make model you know and even sub models and stuff and you know that's you apply that technology to um a bunch of video data that you have and you got you know you got yourself a, a you know a, you could totally target anyone um i drive a, a i drive a sports car it's black and it's got orange stripes on it everywhere i go people oh i saw you over at I saw yeah. you over here at, at the store. If I drive a white Civic, I'm invisible, you know? Yeah. And so, so uh, it's that concept, but applied, you know, on a global scale to, you know, boats and planes and stuff. Boats is an area, boats, boats and those types of things are something I really don't have a lot of experience and I haven't gotten to work in that space very much, but there's what's, there's a boat one. That's just like flight aware. I've used it a bunch. Um, I forget the name of it, but Marine traffic. Marine traffic. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting, but th that's, that's, it's interesting that someone would spoof the signal in a city. That's, that's very interesting. So. It was so funny when we had in 2014, we had the nuclear science summit over here in the Netherlands. So all the world leaders came over here and my team was doing OSINT. I was in law enforcement and in the week before we saw all kinds of Russian fishing ships uh, uh oh, wow. sail, sailing our waters so not, not only russian ones but and when you look when you look up those pictures you'll oh. see fishing fishermen ships with like 25 antennas like like that's not odd but right, that's right. By itself is, is uh, super interesting because now i know and i can simply track them all over uh, the world yeah it's the undercover vice unit with the blacked out tent and six antennas on his crown victoria exactly. you're like oh that's totally right. not a cop there's no way yeah, yeah. That's but this great. is interesting. For example, if you now go to that Davos event recently, that World Economic Forum event, those are locations where you should start monitoring for ships and planes and let's say certain patterns. That's it's super fun to do. Yeah, but that's, now I, yeah, that's smart. I, I, I well, when we started off uh, before we hit the recording button, I was talking then. I simply need to hack more hours in a day. I, I need more yeah. hours in a day. That's my biggest problem. Yeah. I, uh, I, one of the things I do is if, if uh if if someone if a kid's missing locally i'll usually spend a few minutes there's something that feels really good about getting that kill you know figuring out the figuring out what's going on that's always uh it's a rush for sure it's yeah. it's addictive definitely i i i can't you know you hear people say you what is it you do what you love and you'll never like hate your job or whatever and that's that's the fun yeah. part of it it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's cool yeah, I think for me, the thing that I really like about OSINT and, and investigations is, is 
the data is telling me the story. And, you know, like as you're going through the, the investigation or the puzzle or whatever, whatever you want to call it, there's always this anxiety or mystery of, you know, what, what, what is the real truth here or what's behind this? And, you know, letting the data tell the story as a, as a seasoned investigator really, really kind of lowers that anxiety level and, and also lets you just kind of be at peace with what the conclusion is, whatever the thing is that we're hunting. And, and I, I try to tell that to any of the folks that go through our training all the time, like, Hey, you know, you're going to feel super anxious in your investigation by the third day, go out and do something else. Go mow the lawn, drink a beer, drive your car fast with loud music and, you know, let your subconscious solve the problem. But really the, the, the cool win there is always the data telling the story and, and you just kind of feel in that sense of rest, like, oh yeah, I've solved this, this problem, whatever the problem is. Taking a step back, being aware of your bias, those are the keys to yeah, success. Totally. Well, I think we're going to wrap up this, this podcast. We, we had a lot of good content here and um, hopefully we're going to have some more, more folks on the next few podcasts and, and some more top, more topics. So. Yeah. Looking cool. forward to it. All yeah. Right. Looking forward to next time. Thanks guys.